Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Speaking of excited, I'm excited today because we're starting a brand new teaching series here. It's going to run for five weeks, and it's called The Verse After The Verse. You guys say that with me. The Verse After The Verse. What we're going to be doing, what we're going to be looking at is this idea that we all have our favorite verses, right? We all have verses that we like. Um, even, honestly, even if you haven't really read scripture that much, chances are you've got like a verse that you've heard before that you like, or you see one quoted a lot, or you've got one on your wall somewhere in your house. It's like on a decal or it's artwork that you got from Kohl's and it has like a, a Bible verse on it. Maybe you got a tattoo of a Bible verse, something like that. Maybe it's just in your profile on Instagram or on Facebook. You've got this Bible verse that really connects with you. There are certain verses in scripture that just stand out more than others. There are certain ones that we know of more than others. Uh, John 3.16 Philippians 4.13, Jeremiah 29.11, these are all very quotable. If I would start rattling them off to you, even if you have a, even if you've, this is like your first time in church, you've probably heard these before somewhere, even in popular culture, they're that well known. Well, what we're gonna be doing in this series is looking at the fact that all of those verses do have a verse that comes after that verse. Unless your favorite piece of scripture is Revelation 22.21, there's always a verse after the verse, like there's always something else. And why that's so important is because we can take scissors to the Bible and just take out our favorite little verse and just, ooh, it's so good and I hold on to it. And that's great. I, I encourage scripture memorization. It, that's a wonderful thing. But whenever we do that, whenever we just isolate one verse from the rest, so often we miss the fuller picture, the fuller context, the fuller depth that God wants to communicate to us. And so that's what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be taking five in particular verses that are really well known. We're gonna be looking at the full context around it, seeing what else God is saying through these set of verses other than the one little thing that we see whenever we look at the one verse in isolation. So today where we're gonna start, we're gonna be looking at Philippians 4.13 and then we're gonna kind of look at all of the context around it, okay? So Philippians 4.13, this is a very, very popular one. Chances are you've heard this before. You saw Tim Tebow wear this on his eye black, right, back in college. Philippians 4.13 says this, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Who's heard this one before? Just anywhere before, absolutely, online. Anyone who's heard this before, we've heard it. And this is great. This is a wonderful truth. This is something that obviously we should hold on to and cling to and remember in hard times that man, whenever, whenever we have Christ living in us, it, literally anything's possible. Whenever Christ's power is at work in us, but there is so much more at play when we read the richer context and just the fuller meaning of what's going on here in this piece of scripture from the book of Philippians. So the book of Philippians, it's written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to a church in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Uh, he's writing to this church, and this is where we pick up. I, I want us to read starting in verse 10. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen, but we're gonna start in verse 10 of Philippians 4, and we'll look at the full context. This is what scripture says. Paul says this to the Philippian church. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. 
I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Then here's our verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In Christ, with his power, I can do everything. I'm, I'm in a hard time right now, but man, as Christ pours his strength into me, I can do anything. But I love, as we continue reading, look at what Paul says. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the first ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me from Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I love this piece of scripture. I love the full context here. And what it makes me think of is actually what literally happened yesterday to me. Yesterday, I'm at my house. Uh, we've got uh, 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 one of the girl's friends is sleeping over um, and a bunch of kids in the neighborhood, they're all playing, right? It's getting later at night and um, uh, getting later in the evening and they're all playing, they're in the house and they go outside and I can hear them say that they're going to the park and the house was just rambunctious. Like it's just crazy here, screaming and little laughing and everything like that and I love it. Teddy's barking, chasing the kids and stuff. And then they all leave and they go to the park and I'm up there, I'm trying to get my laundry put away and then do some final sermon prep. And so as they go to the park, um, I'm putting stuff away. And then all of a sudden, it, it takes about like five to 10 minutes. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. If not, you can come up to me and tap me afterwards and be like, Pastor Jacob, I've never heard of anyone having a moment like this. You need to go see somebody and talk to somebody about this stuff. You can tell me. But I had a moment where as I'm up there in, in our bedroom putting stuff away, it just hit me how quiet the house was. Like, like uncomfortable quiet. Like you, you just heard the air kick on, like the air wasn't on at our house. Everyone's gone. Teddy, who's like a really clingy, our little dog, he's so clingy. He wasn't by me in this moment. He was like downstairs, which is really weird for him. He's usually like right by you. He's downstairs, the kids are gone. It was like, it's the kind of silence that you can hear it. It's that quiet, right? And for some reason, I'm putting stuff away and that just hit me and it's like a wave of loneliness washed over me. Like all that fun and all that noise and all that life was just gone from the house and I felt it and it just like, it, tr it troubled me. It just made me realize like, man, I'm, I'm alone right now. I don't like this. <laughs> like I, I don't like this feeling. And what I want us to talk about today as we study Philippians chapter four, what I want us to talk about today is that very same idea about loneliness and companionship because what I believe we're gonna see scripture says to us today is this, and this is gonna sound like a bold statement, but I believe scripture proves this out. Your walk with Jesus and my walk with Jesus, hear me on this, your walk with Jesus shouldn't only be with Jesus. If your walk with Jesus is a solo one-on-one -on -one sport, if you play faith like you do golf or anything else where it's just me stepping on the course, it's just me stepping into the ring, you're doing it wrong. Your walk with Jesus should not only be with Jesus. Our faith is meant to be communal. It's meant to be communal. I think that's what we're gonna see today as we study Philippians chapter four. So in Jesus, in Jesus, we have a great friend, don't we? 
Like whenever we read scripture, we see the kind of friend that we have. Um, Jesus is a friend in a high place. <laughs> Literally, right? Like he's a friend in a high place. Whenever we read the book of Hebrews, we see how it says that Jesus, uh, he is our, he's our high priest. He literally mediates the relationship between us and God. Like he is, he is our friend and he is a friend in a high place and we need a friend in a high place. Like what we talked about today, what we sang about whenever we were praying, that's the kind of friend that we need. Um, but there is another noted uh, theologian, uh, St. Garth of the Brooks, who would wager, <laughs> who, who would say that we don't just need friends in high places, we need friends in low places. Where the, no, I won't, I won't do it. Um, <laughs> where the juice flows in the milk, yeah, we won't, yeah. Um, <laughs> but we need, yeah, we need a friend in a high place, but come on, we need, we need friends in low places. We need friends just in life. Like, yeah, of, co of course, it, it's great to be like, I've, I've, and it's true, I've never had a friend like Jesus, and Jesus is my friend. And yeah, that's all true. We also need this. We need this. We need friends. We need community. Our faith is meant to be walked out in tandem with other people. We need friends in low places. Now, I know what you're already thinking. You're elbowing the person next to him being like, yo, he, he preached a sermon two weeks ago called God Bless the Broken Road. Now he's preaching friends in low places. Like, this guy's just gonna keep ripping off one country song after another. I promise I'm done after today. I don't have any more waiting down the, down the pike. Um, but we do. We have, we have a friend in a high place in Jesus. Uh, I mean, it's think about it. It's, it's what we sang about earlier, Right? What song do we just sing? God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. That is 100% true. God is where our help comes from. I just think sometimes we can get so confused and we can start to expect what God's help is gonna look like that when we look to God for help, we expect a something and God oftentimes sends a someone. We're looking at God saying, God, get me out of this, do this. God, help me with this. I'm struggling with this. Can you give me this peace? Can you give me this, this, this feeling, this sensation? Can you give me this? And God's saying, well, I'm not just gonna install that instantly into you. I'm gonna start bringing people into your life who can help cultivate a way of living, who can help you not just sustain you in one moment, but a friendship and a base in the community sustain you for a lifetime. Yes, we have a friend in a high place, but we need friends in low places. Just, just take a quick look around. Just really, I'm not, honestly, congregation, just look around real quick at each other. If you're watching online, look at your cat or your dog, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, but look around right now, and, and the reason I want you to do that is because this is such a huge point, and we can miss this. Like, we can just miss this whenever we read scripture. But what we just did, looking around this room at each other, I want you to understand this. The you next to you is an answer to Jesus's prayer for you. Think about that. The you next to you is an answer to Jesus's prayer for you. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Let's start with that. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? I, I can already see some people, they're like, wait, the, the you next to me is his answer to prayer? I need to pray better. Like I need to, like, whoo, <laughs> something's wrong. I need to fast and pray for 21 days. <laughs> Shoot, uh, but no, did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Like, he, he prayed, let me, um, I actually, I didn't find this ahead of time, so give me one second, let's see how quickly, 
I can find, there we go. That was pretty good. I just, did it, if you never went to a Christian school or anything, whenever you were little, we did these things called sword drills where you would have to like hold your Bible down and they'd give you a passage and you like rifle it open. I, I was good. I was real good. That was pretty quick. That was pretty quick. I want to read to you. This is from John chapter 17, okay? John chapter 17, we're not gonna have this on the screen. I just wanna read this real quick. This is Jesus getting ready. Um, This is just before he's gonna be arrested, uh, tried, crucified, all of this. This is a prayer that he does all throughout John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer, um, and it's beautiful. I'm telling you, if if you've never read it before, read John 17. It's, it's, It's just so good. At this specific part, though, Jesus, he's like kind of moving through different prayers, And then when we get to verse 20, we start to see that he shifts and he's not just praying for his disciples anymore. He's praying for us, for you and me. Listen to this. This is what it says. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. The fact that we are here today together as one church, united in our love and our following of Jesus, is an answer to this prayer. The person sitting next to you, the the, the people that we're in community with, we are an actual answer to prayer for Jesus. (laughs) A prayer that he prayed for us, we are each other's answer to prayer. We need our community. We need our unity with each other. We need this. We need it badly. In fact, did you know the, the, the section of scripture that we're reading today from the book of Philippians? Chances are you may know this. Do you know where Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church? Prison. It's, it's remarkable whenever you read the book of Philippians and you see how much joy is contained in its pages how Paul can't stop talking about how grateful he is and how thankful he is for what God's done and how he's just expectant and hopeful for what God's gonna continue to do and he's writing this in shackles. See, whenever Paul was in prison, he knew that, yeah, while I'm going through this, I can can take heart because I know I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, but Paul immediately continues to say, even so, you, the church, my friends, you have done well to share with me in this present difficulty. You have done well to be with me in this present difficulty. For Paul, the church, his fellow believers were an answer to prayer. They were there for him. They were there for him. They were there for each other. You know, that's one of the reasons me and Jessica, we we wanted to have three kids. Whenever we talked about it and we're trying to plan things out, we definitely said we wanted two or three and every family's different. Everybody has their own, like what's best for them. But we knew for us, we're like, man, we, we wanna have at least two, probably three. And the reason was, is we're like, man, we want our kids to have each other whenever we're gone. Like we want them to, you know, whenever we're, we're gone, I don't mean like dead, I mean like whenever we're gone, whenever they're old enough and we're like, we're out, we're going to an all-inclusive down in Mexico and we're out of here. Like you got each other now, right? Like we, we wanted them to have each other, to, to be able to rely on each other to be there for each other when times are hard, when times are good, when times are sad, when times are happy. We wanted them to have each other. God wants us to have each other. He wants his church to be there for each other, for the brothers and sisters in the church to see each other as brothers and sisters and to love each other. 
You know, outside Jesus Christ, and this, this is what we see in Philippians 4.13 and 4.14, outside of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift God's ever given us is his church, each other. It's us. Outside of Jesus, Jesus, of course, is far and away the greatest gift, but outside of that, his church, it's us. It's you and it's me. We are God's greatest gift to each other outside of Jesus. You see, back in the Garden of Eden, we see this early in the book of Genesis, whenever God creates, the very first thing he says in creation that is not good is what? Loneliness. The fact that man is alone is not good, and we quickly read that to be like, yes, so marriage is a wonderful thing. Yeah, marriage, yeah, that's, that's good. That's obviously, that's a wonderful thing. But God's talking about a, a broader picture of relationship and community in general. It's not good for this one person to be isolated. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs people. He needs community. He needs friends. He needs people that he can rely on, that he can count on, that he can live uh, alongside of, that he can go through hard times and good times with. We need each other. We need each other. And I, I wanna kind of break this down real quick. I wanna give you three specific categories of what we need from each other whenever we look at like a true lasting friendship. Now, hear me out. I'm not talking acquaintances, okay? Like, I don't want you tuning me out right now because like, man, Pastor Jacob's talking about friendship and companionship. I got like 2,500 friends on Facebook. I'm good. Like, I'm not, not talking about that. I'm talking about true, lasting, deep, connected friendship. What you need to look for in, in friendship. This is, this is number one. I just want to give you these three real quick. The first thing that you need, the kind of friend that you need, you need a friend who suffers for you. And then, doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> you need it, though, and I need it. We all need it. A friend who suffers for you. Think about Jesus in the garden asking his disciples to come with him, to pray with him, because he is in a moment of deep and unbelievable grief. He doesn't just need empathy at this moment. He needs people who are saying, hey, I'm willing to get in the muck with you. I am willing to suffer for you. I'm, I, if you're hurting, I'm hurting. They're putting you down, they're putting me down. I am right beside you every single step of the way. You need a friend who suffers for you. Listen again to how Paul says this in verse 14. He says, even so you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. That Greek word, the, the word that Paul used that we translate share, it means to, to join in fellowship with. So Paul is saying, yeah, I can do everything through Christ, but man, you guys have helped me so much because you have joined in fellowship of suffering with me. This present difficulty that I'm undergoing, you didn't just say, oh, praying for you, Paul. <laughs> praying for you, hope everything goes good. No, you're in it with me. You are suffering as I suffer. You're hurting as I hurt. You need a friend who suffers with you, someone who's not just there on the high places. You need a friend in low places. A lot of people will be your friend in high places. Man, church, once we get this renovation and construction done, gonna see a lot of new friends showing up here. Like, we're gonna, it's gonna be big. We're gonna have a lot of new people come. A lot of people wanna come and check it out because it's gonna look new and it's gonna look welcoming, which is great. That's the point, right? Like, that's, that's the point and that's awesome and that's wonderful. We wanna invite new people in, but can I tell you, I, the people who I'm looking in the white of your eyes right now, you guys, like, me and you, I'm, I'm there for you. <laughs> the, pe the people who've been here, the people online, our extended family who've been with us through thick and thin, through the hard times, through all the difficulties, that's on a different level. <laughs> 
that's on, a, that's on a completely different level because you're not just a friend who comes in at the high place and goes, woo, looks good now, all right, I'm ready. You're a friend who says, no, I'm with you in the low places. I'm with you. We feel the air conditioning today to the glory of God. Last year, we didn't. And we were sweating in here and it was, it was rough and it was difficult. And you know what? I see the same people here. I love it. I love it because those are people who are saying, hey, I'm suffering with you. I'm in this thing with you. This is, this is a true friendship. This is a true connection. I am here to suffer and to go through this thing with you. I think about all the people in our church who back whenever COVID-19 started spreading and churches started to shut down and then some started to open back up because they had their own building and they could. And then you got us who, who were meeting mobily in a school that we were not allowed to get back into. I love so much that I see people in our church who said, no, I'm, I'm not like leaving Cornerstone. Just because we can't meet in person, I'm not leaving and just gonna go attend. Another. Cornerstone is my family. If, if we can't meet, I can't meet. <laughs> if Cornerstone's hurting, I'm hurting. Because if you're suffering, I'm suffering. I'm in it with you. I'm suffering with you. I'm hurting with you. That's what Paul had in the Philippian church. That's what we have here at Cornerstone, and I love it. I love it. Because that's what true friendship looks like. That's what true connection looks like. We need friends who will suffer for you. That's the first kind of friend we need. And hear me on this. I'm not saying you need one friend in each category. I'm just saying these are three characteristics you need to find in true lasting friendships. Number one, a friend who suffers for you. Number two, you need a friend who ministers to you. A friend who suffers for you and a friend who ministers to you. Let's continue reading Philippians chapter four. We just read this a second ago, verse 15. Paul says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. Paul's saying, it was just you guys. No one else did this. You guys stepped up. You guys ministered to me. You didn't just suffer with me in the hardship. You stepped out in faith and ministered to me. You helped me. When no one else was, when no one else was offering a helping hand, I was able to get one from you. You need friends who will minister to you. People who will say, I'm not just gonna suffer with you in the muck. I'm gonna do my best to lift you out of it. I'm gonna do my best to encourage you, to build you up, to help you out in any way that I possibly can. I love, I love the model that Jesus shows us uh, with friendship. <laughs> like we see crowds of, of thousands, uh, hundreds at most times, but thousands at other times that are following Jesus. That's, that's a lot of friends, right? That's a lot of people following you. But out of all of those followers, Jesus had 12 disciples. He had 12 that were especially close. And even out of that 12, he had three who were even closer still. Peter, James, and John were his close, tight-knit inner circle who were present at all of the big moments. All of the really, like, wow, this is, this is, this is a different level of closeness. They were there. They were there. We see this modeled by Jesus, that he had these inner circle of friends who ministered to him, who helped him in the actual sense of the word minister, to, to, to help, to provide aid. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane comes to his disciples and says, I am struggling with despair to the point of death. I need someone to pray for me. Can you stay up? Can you watch over me? Can, can you pray with me? Jesus needed friends like that. If Jesus surrounded himself with disciples, if he surrounded himself even further still with an inner circle, how much more so do you need that? 
How much more so do you need people that you can turn to and say, hey, I'm going through unbelievable grief right now. I, I need someone praying for me. I need someone, someone approaching God's throne for me. I need someone there for me. We need people who can minister to us. Whenever me and my family moved to Cleveland to uh, start a church plant, uh, my dad at that moment had like retired or, you know, he was, he was doing some ministry, um, but in much less capacity. Uh, and then later on he had retired. And so whenever we were meeting, uh, we, we moved and our church plant was like 50 to 55 minutes away uh, from my dad. Uh, but guess what? He came up to our church like more than 10 times. Even though he had other stuff that he was doing, even though he was trying to be at Cornerstone too, he came up, I, I believe it was more than 10 separate times, um, and it was incredible. He would come up, because it was hard. Man, that's the hardest thing I've ever done was that, that church plant. And he would come up, and he wouldn't just come and attend. He would come up and be like, where, what, where can you put me? What can I do? And so my dad would be like the greeter. Like he would be greeting people as they came in, talking with people afterwards, after the service. Whenever I'd be tearing down the stage, he would come over and help uh, get the cords all put, to, put away and put together and everything like that. After service was over, he'd take me and Jessica, and uh, at the time it was just like Eden and Evelyn. He would take us out and get us lunch and just fill into us and just encourage us and tell us, man, the service was great. It was awesome. It was so good. And as he's saying that, I'm thinking, no, it wasn't, but thank you. <laughs> like it, was, it wasn't, but I appreciate it because you're building into me, because you, you, you love me. You're ministering to me right now. You're telling me things that you know I need to hear. You're, you're, you're encouraging me, and you're, you're trying to help pull me out of the muck. I can't even begin to tell you how badly I needed that. Like, I needed it, and you need it. <laughs> don't kid yourself. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how self-sufficient you are. You need it. You need a friend who will suffer for you and a friend who will minister to you. And that's not it. There's one more thing that I want us to look at. Philippians 4, 16, the very next verse, Paul writes this. Even when, in, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. More than once. See, we don't just need a friend who suffers for you or a friend who, is, who ministers to you. We need a friend who is consistent with us, who we can count on. Paul says, man, the Philippian church, not only did you guys get into the muck with me, not only did you offer a hand to help me out, you did it multiple times. You were just there. You were a steady, consistent, stable force in a time when I've been going through extreme hardship. You need a friend who is consistent with you, someone who just is there for you. And honestly, this is the thing that really separates the friendship. Because there can be a lot of friends who, who suffer with you. There can be a lot of friends who, who minister to you. The consistency is the hard thing. And this has nothing to do with people not being good friends or not being good uh, uh, like buddies. It has nothing to do with that. You know, research shows at most close friendships, like truly close, uh, deep abiding friendships that most people can only have around three to five of those. That's it. After that, we just can't. And the main reason, consistency. You just can't, I mean, come on, you know you can't. You can't be consistently suffering with people and consistently ministering to people. You can't do that with about more than three to five people. That's where we start to tap out. 
Because to be a true friend, to be truly uh, like that close inner circle, that deep abiding connection, you need to be able to be consistent. Someone that can be counted on, someone that can be relied upon and leaned upon. And now what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just your normal friend, I'm talking about the person who, who knows everything, man. Like they know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> like they're, the, they're that friend. Like they know, they know all your stuff. They know the things that nobody else knows. We all need those people. The people that we can just kind of, man, can I just unload on you? Can I just tell you what's going on? And I'm safe to tell you that because I know you're consistent. I know you're safe. I know you're gonna be walking with me. I know that you're stable. I can just count on you because you've come through for me time and time again. We need a friend who is consistent with us. You know what kind of friendship I'm talking about. The kind of person who you can truly trust because they've been consistent. Uh, Jessica was just uh, making me laugh earlier this week. She showed me a, a meme uh, that she had liked on Instagram. It's like a video of Robert De Niro from the movie Casino. Um, and the, the caption at the top just says, uh, me when I'm beginning any new friendship. And then it's Robert De Niro looking at somebody. He's like, look, I need to know, can I trust you? No, can I trust you? Like, he's like interrogating them, right? Uh, we were just dying laughing. So it's like, yes, this is, this is it. You need a friend that you can like, man, can I just, can I trust you? Can I count on you? Not to be perfect. I'm not asking for you to be perfect. I'm just asking, can I count on you just be there? That whenever I, I unload, I don't have to worry that it's gonna, whoa, you're a different person than I thought. No, I don't like who you are. That I can just count on you being there. You need a friend who suffers for you. You need a friend who is consistent with you. And you need a friend who ministers to you. We all need these kind of relationships. I know we do. I know I've been public about it, that I, I suffer with anxiety issues. I would wager that about 75% of our congregation would say, yeah, me too. <laughs> if it's not anxiety, it's a different kind of stress, it's a different kind of fear, it's a different kind of paranoia, it's a different kind of worry. But I guarantee you, because all you have to do is wake up and breathe. <laughs> the world will give you stuff. No anxiety, here you go, front page, read it. <laughs> no worries, oh, rumors of layoff going through the office, there you go, that'll fix it for you. <laughs> You think you have it all together, then your kid starts acting different than that you thought they were, and man, they're hanging out with different people and you're starting to freak out. We all have that. We all have our own anxiety, our own stress, our own fear, our own worries. And yes, it's incredible that we can say, God, I look to you in those moments. And what's also incredible is that in those moments, God, yes, he gives us something, but he also points us to someone's. He points us to this someone and to that someone and he gives us connections because he, he knows it's not good for us to be alone. He knows we need that. He knows we need the connection. And this is what I can promise you when you find that, when you find that. And I'm, I'm not a believer in the fact that family can't be friends. It's gotta be people outside of your family. No, it's you just find three to five people who suffer with you, who, who minister to you and who are consistent with you you, you find those people, and I am telling you, I'm telling you because I've experienced it myself, when you find a faithful friendship, it is fulfilling in a supernatural sense. You borderline can't put words to it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so good, and it's so rich, and you're like, I can, wow, I'm safe. <laughs> like, I'm safe with these people, and they're, they're, they're like, I, I don't have to worry about, well, don't say it this way, and man, couch this, and oh, can't share that, and no, don't say this. Like, I'm just, I'm safe. 
Because these people have suffered with me, these people minister to me, and these people are consistent with me. And when you find that, it is supernaturally fulfilling. Listen to how Paul says it. This is verse 18 of Philippians 4. I love this so much. At the moment, I have all I need and more. It's Paul's words. At the moment, I have all I need and more. Do you know where he's writing this? Prison. (laughs) He's writing this in prison. And he's saying what Christ has done to fill me up and then the way the church has surrounded me, I can, as I'm writing in shackles, say, I'm blessed beyond I can imagine right now. (laughs) No, there's not a thing that I can think of that I need. I actually have more than I need right now. I'm blessed beyond comprehension. That is what happens when you find a faithfully fulfilling friendship. It is supernatural. (laughs) You can find yourselves in shackles and feeling like, you know what, I'm safe. You can find yourself in the midst of opposition and feel like, okay, yeah, but you know what, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm not gonna stress out. I'm not gonna panic because I've got people. I've got people who are with me, who are consistent, who are ministering to me, who are suffering with me. There's something transcendent about it when we find those faithfully fulfilling friendships. And it is, I don't know how else to word it, it's just, it's supernatural. When, when my dad died, it was supernatural how God gave his peace and his grace. I, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure it's true for the rest of my family too. Whenever my dad died, people coming up to us in the days, weeks, and months after, right? Like close friends coming up months after and saying, hey, I know it's been a while, I just wanna let you know, I'm still praying for you. I got, I've got your name on a slip at the beginning of my Bible. I pray for you every time I read it. I'm praying for you. And in those moments, if you were one of those people, you know I said this to you. I said, thank you for praying for us. I know that you are. Like, I, I, I know you are. Because <laughs> I feel it. Because every moment, those waves of grief rush over me where I'm going like, wow, if I live a long life, I'm gonna live two-thirds of my life without my dad. And wow, my son's never gonna meet him this side of eternity. He's like, when, when those moments would just rush in, something would push them back every single time. And it made no sense. It's not like I'm in the middle of reading scripture when those thoughts come. No, I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, boom, the grief hits and something pushes them back. And I know in that moment, people are praying for me. People are thinking about me. People are lifting me up in prayer. I'm not, I'm not suffering through this alone. People are ministering for me and they're consistent in how they're doing it. This wasn't a one-time thing. They're consistent with it. There is something supernatural and there's something transcendent about a faithful friendship. God knows we need it. Yes, we can do everything through Christ who strengthens us, but my goodness, do we need friendship? My goodness, do we need community? My goodness, do we need connection with fellow believers. And what I'm excited to be able to say is at the end of this sermon, it's not like a hopeless situation where you're going like, well, where do I find that? Look around. (laughs) This is where you find it. In fact, this is where tons of people have found it here at Cornerstone. Like I'm not, I'm not giving you a problem. And then the prescription is something you can't do anything with. You want to find connection. You can find it here. You want to find those kind of friendships. I promise you, you will be able to find it here. The two, the two best ways, we talk about this all the time, getting involved in a small group, serving on a ministry partnership team. It just is. Those are the two best ways, and every single time it happens, people get connected. 
They get connected. They get connected to all of those good friendships, like Jesus with his 12 disciples, and oftentimes they get connected to that close relationship, like Jesus with his inner circle. They find that friend who they're like, man, this is who I've been looking for, someone who, who ministers to me, who suffers with me, who's consistent. People are finding that all the time here at Cornerstone. And I already know, I, I, I'm just, I already hear it. I can see into the future <laughs> the objection. That sounds great, Pastor Jacob. I know I, know I need this. Like, I know I need the friends that really input into my life. I know I need that close inner circle of, uh, of people who, who suffer with me, who minister to me, who are consistent with me. I know I need it. I just don't have time. Like, your, your prescription is more time. Like, your prescription is, I, I, need, I, I need to come and serve at Cornerstone, which is gonna take up time. Your prescription is, I need to get involved in a C group, which is gonna take up time. And I'm just telling you right now, I don't have time. And this is what I wanna tell you, I, I, I totally get it. If you're a person, I, I was just at a conference, uh, uh, and this pastor there, Albert Tate, was referring to it this way, the, like the whole, when the dust settles, like that's probably where you're at, is like right now things are crazy, my schedule's nuts, I know I need those connections, but when the dust settles, then I'll join a C group. Then, then, I'll, you know, then I'll start serving, but man, it's, just, it's wild right now, the kids and the schedule and everything. Can I just tell you today, the dust never settles. <laughs> it, it doesn't, and it won't. You remember back in January, whenever you were writing out your calendar and how wonderful May looked? Because the first months were just, whoo, man, it's just one thing after another, but man, once I turn the page to May, there's all this white space, and it's open, and oh, this will be great, and I'll take some time off, and I'll do this, and then guess what happened? You got to May, and May's crazy, because <laughs> that's what happens. The dust never settles. The, those, those spaces on your calendar, those white spaces that looked like liberty, now they're, they're little prisons because <laughs> they get filled up like that, right? You know it's true. The dust never settles. So what you're gonna end up doing is this thing that you know you need to do. If you're gonna actually take that step of faith and, and see your faith grow, because I'm telling you right now, you wanna see what your faith looks like, look at who you're doing life with. That's, that's the level of your faith. I don't care how good your Bible study is on your own. If you're constantly walking with people who are not advancing you forward, that's what your faith's gonna look like. You will compromise. You will fall back. You will not see the fruits of the Spirit continue to grow in your life like that. We need these friendships. We need these relationships. And I'm telling you, if you keep kicking that can down the road until one of these days when the dust settles, you'll eventually, you will be the dust, <laughs> You'll get to the end of your life and you'll be like, I never, I never had those friendships. I was always just very casual with most people. Even the close friendships I had were toxic. They were not with people who suffer for me, who minister to me, who are consistent with me. You've got to make the choice in the midst of the dust, <laughs> in the midst of the craziness to say, I am prioritizing this. I'm going to make it happen. That, that pastor I told you about at that conference, Albert Tate, that's what he said. He's like, he, he was talking to his buddy, and they were saying, man, we gotta get together whenever the dust settles. And he said, he kind of paused for a second and told him, like, it's never gonna settle. Like, we just gotta hang in the dust, I guess. We just gotta hang out in the dust. We gotta make this move in the dust. That's what I wanna tell you. Forget when the dust settles. Forge a friendship in the dust. Forge a connection in the dust. I know you're busy. I don't care. I'm busy too. We're all busy. Everyone's busy. You're never gonna get to a place where suddenly, wow, tons of free time all of a sudden. It's not coming. 
Forge a friendship in the dust. Hang in the dust because you need it. It is that vital. It's that important. If Jesus needed it, you need it. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.